0: turn to our confessional reading, Lord's Day 22, on page 223 of the Forms and Prayers. And uh, we'll be then turning to Matthew chapter 5, to the Beatitudes for our text. And uh, Lord willing, we will look next week at uh, the beatitudes again for lords day 23 we'll look I believe we'll look at the first 3 beatitudes next week as they do relate to the theme of lords day 23 this morning we'll be looking at beatitudes 4 5 and 6 But first, our confessional reading, Lord's Day 22. I'll read the questions together. Let's say answer 57 and then answer 58. Beginning with question 57. How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And Then question and answer 58, turning the page. How does the article concerning Life Everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness Such as no eye have seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which praise God eternally. Let's turn now to the very word of God, Matthew chapter 5. Page 1029. And... The Bible's under the seats, and we'll be looking at verses 6 to 8, Beatitudes 4, 5, 6, but we'll read uh, verses 1 to 12. So Matthew chapter 5, we begin our reading at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, him being Jesus. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of Jesus Christ, we come this morning to a passage known by many as the Beatitudes, for this is one of the places where a Latin word, Beatitude is from the Latin word for blessed. This is one of the places where a Latin word has entered our English vocabulary. And so uh, blessed uh, and a a form of the the Latin word beatitude is what starts verses 3 through 11. And so when we come to these beatitudes, we we have this Latin word which has just become part of our English language, so much so to the point that we don't use this word very often, but if we looked in our English dictionaries, we'd find that even the adjective form of this Old Latin word is in our English dictionaries, beatific or beatific beatifical. And if we uh, looked at this word beatific, which again, we don't use very often, but it is in our English dictionaries. And if we looked at this word, we would see that sadly, this is one of those words which has had a dramatic change in how it's defined over the last 200 years. You've maybe heard me do this before, but I'm gonna compare Webster's 1828 with Webster's Online 2023. And for beatific or beatific call, if we look in Webster's 1828, it's defined this way. That has the power to bless or make happy or the power to complete blissful enjoyment, used only of heavenly fruition after death. And then Webster's 1828 gives an example. And the example is, as beatific vision. Now, how has the dictionary's definition of this word changed when we look at Webster's online 2023? Well, in today's Webster's dictionary, there's no longer any reference to heaven at all. And we can safely say that the definition is significantly watered down. And the second definition is simply this, quote, having a blissful appearance, end of quote. And then if we would look at examples of recent use of the word beatific on the interweb, again, it's not a very common word, but it is used once in a while, we would find this example that Vogue magazine used the word beatific when they were describing the smile of a celebrity. She had a beatific smile. And we see that this is a very watered-down word. Brothers and sisters, we're going to speak about beatific this evening, and we're going to speak about it in the older and much deeper and much more powerful Definition and sense of that word. We're talking about power to bring complete bliss, the power which is only seen in fruition as God brings His people to heavenly blessedness, perfect blessedness, beatific blessings. So our theme this evening is God's blessed ones will experience perfect. Blessedness or beatific blessedness. And our three points are beatific fullness, looking at the fourth beatitude, verse 6, and beatific rest, looking at verse 7, and then beatific vision. Well, as we jump into the middle of the beatitudes, we're going to think just for a moment about the first three beatitudes. And they are um, roughly the beatitudes are are united in theme beatitudes 1 to 3 4 to 6 and uh, 7 to 9 and the first three beatitudes the focus especially in the first beatitude is on humility blessed are the poor in spirit uh, this is uh, this is where blessing starts when we're not looking at ourselves but when we see ourselves as poor in spirit when we mourn when we mourn over our own sins when we uh, trust in God for our salvations. And now as, as the Beatitudes continue, that is still in view, especially in the fourth Beatitude, we must be hungering, we must be thirsting for righteousness. This is part of the description that Jesus gives for God's people, for the blessed ones. And blessed... Uh, Hungering and thirsting relates back to being poor in spirit because part of what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for our own righteousness. It's to hunger and thirst for our own struggle against sin to be over and for uh, victories by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit as we struggle against sin on this earth part of hungering and thirsting uh, for righteousness is to look at our own selves and our own lack of righteousness first. Or we can say it in these terms if we look at Matthew 7 verse 3 later on in the Sermon on the Mount. What is that passage about judging and, and not judging? Well, it can be summarized, the point of it, looking at verse, Matthew 7 verse 3 by saying this, we need to judge ourselves first. Why do you seek this why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye We need to hunger and thirst for our own righteousness first that's where we start We need to see our own need to be filled up in righteousness This needs to be our very first desire We can speak about having certain kinds of desires certain kinds of Lands as we uh, walk through this world. But our very first goal, our first desire, our main objective is this, Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, hungering and thirsting for righteousness also includes a desire for righteousness to be seen all around us. We live in this sin-cursed, groaning world and we hunger, we thirst for righteousness. We hunger and we thirst for there to no longer be wars and rumors of wars, for there no longer to be sin-torn attitudes all around us. We long for the time when the righteous who live by faith, to use the language of Habakkuk 1 and Habakkuk 2, will no longer be surrounded by the wicked. That's how the prophet Habakkuk begins his questions so we are to be longing for a righteous world the wicked surround the righteous in this land of exile and God's pilgrims hunger desire a beautiful and holy house and now brothers and sisters let's let's think a little bit about the word picture that Jesus gives to us hungering and thirsting And let's know that this image, this picture from Jesus Christ is to speak to an intense desire. I think it might be a little bit difficult for us to see that at first because we have so much abundance. Let's remember that the crowd first hearing Jesus speak in the Sermon on the Mount, they did not have refrigerators, they did not have freezers. They did not have easy ways of storing food. They did not have abundance like we have abundance. And so while we shouldn't picture a bunch of starving, gaunt people on the hillside, we should picture people who, in years where there's a bad harvest and you don't have nearly as much machinery, you don't have nearly as much ways to combat crop disease. You don't have nearly as many ways to, to, to beat the, uh, the bad years and the bad weathers. We must picture those who have experienced at certain times in their life hunger in a way that we have simply not experienced it, living with freezers and refrigerators and the abundance that we have. So when Jesus uses this picture, hunger and thirst for righteousness, we should know that this is a picture of intense and deep longing, such that, thankfully, many Americans have never experienced even a single day in their life. Hunger and thirst. So this speaks to intense desiring. It also speaks to something which must be ongoing. And this, I hope and trust, we know and we can easily see and understand. Hungering and thirsting. That speaks to something that is ongoing, that happens every day. Picture a 40 year old man who is uh, a little bit weak and uh, not the most healthy. So he goes to his doctor. And the doctor is trying to figure out what's going on, he's trying to figure out why this man is weak. And finally, the doctor says, well, what have you been eating recently? And his patient says, well, I've been eating three meals a day for 40 years. I thought that was enough, so I stopped eating three days ago. What do you think the response would be? Well, I, I figured out what your problem is. I know why you are weak. I know why you are struggling. You see... The, the image of hungering and thirsting. It speaks to something which can be intense. There are many people in the world who have known real hunger at some point in their life. And it speaks to something that is ongoing. Maybe you were born and raised in the blessings of a covenant home. And maybe for 40 years you have uh, been fed, at least with the with the external word can you say well 40 years of 3 meals a day 40 years of two services a sunday that's enough i can just stop i don't need it anymore no this is this is the picture that god gives to us for what our desire must be for god's kingdom for god's righteousness it's something which is intense it's something which is ongoing we don't just say I've had enough. No, by by God's grace, we will we will be hungering and thirsting, and and those who have heard it all the more they long to hear it again. Just as having um, no physical hunger would put a person into a position of great physical danger, so if we have no spiritual hunger. We are in a position of great spiritual danger. But by God's spirit, may we be continually hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Even as full satisfaction is not to be found on this earth, there will be full and complete satisfaction. And the Beatitudes are constantly in the, in the blessings, in the beatific blessings. There's always the blessed description and then it's followed by the beatific blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And it's and it's always in the future tense because there is a, a final future fulfillment of these promises. And so for this promise of satisfaction and, and how it is something which will be fully realized in the future, we turn to a book that we might expect to turn to and thinking about final blessings, we turn to the book of Revelation and we read in Revelation chapter 7 verses 15 to 17 therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence they shall hunger no more neither shall neither thirst more. the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Brothers and sisters, let's come now to our second point, second beatitude tonight, the fifth beatitude in the list. And we're going to speak about beatific Rest. There is a promise of of the blessed experience of the mercy of God, and uh, before we we get to that beatific promise, they will be receive mercy. We have the pattern as it goes. Jesus begins with the description of God's people and what the heart attitude of God's people is to be. There's a consistent emphasis in the beatitudes on. God is, is reaching to the heart level. And uh, we therefore uh, see just glancing ahead and uh, remembering those passages, we see it's consistent. It's, it's the introduction to those those uh, descriptions of Jesus Christ, the law that reach to the level of the heart. Well this is this is God's introduction. This is the introduction of Jesus Christ. He's already penetrating to the heart, to heart attitudes and what is the heart attitude in our second point blessed are the merciful blessed are the merciful we can think brothers and sisters of the parable of the ungrateful servant and if you turn forward to Matthew chapter 18 read just the last few verses of that parable in Matthew chapter 18 verses 33 to 35 where you know that ultimately we can begin to show mercy because for God has first been merciful to us, and the parable of the ungrateful servant is is Jesus his powerful reminder of and his powerful picture of what salvation is, and how that should impact our attitude, and how uh, how wrong the attitude of the of the ungrateful servant is. This is, we'll read just the conclusion of this parable, Matthew 18, verses 33 to 35. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this is the first of at least two things that being merciful includes. Being merciful means that we are to be forgiving. The ungrateful servant was not forgiving. He was not forgiving. But to be merciful surely goes beyond just being forgiving. It, is, it has another additional step to it. True mercy includes both being forgiving and being ready to forgive. Those are not exactly the same things. Where there is no repentance of sin, we don't say, I forgive you. But we are forgiving where there is repentance, and we are ready to forgive. And desiring that God would bring those who are not repentant to repentance... And that is our attitude to those who are living in rebellion. Mercy in this way goes beyond forgiveness because the word mercy means both being forgiving and being ready to forgive. Mercy includes both forgiveness and compassion, is the way that some have said it. Now, to be merciful does not mean to be easygoing. And this is, uh, this is a quote which is uh, an ocean away and a few decades away. But brothers and sisters, it remains so relevant for us. I'm going to read at some length a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones speaking about what mercy is not. Quote, mercy does not mean that we should be easygoing, as we put it. There are so many people today who think that being merciful means to be easygoing, not to see things, or if we do see them, to pretend we have not. That, of course, is a particular danger in an age like this, which does not believe in law or discipline, and in a sense does not believe in justice or righteousness. The idea today is that man should be absolutely free-minded, and that he has the right to do just what he likes. The merciful person, many people think, is one who smiles at transgression and law-breaking. But if I can think of mercy only at the expense of truth and law, it is not true mercy, and it is a false understanding of the term." End of quote. So again, that was some decades ago that was across the ocean, but how relevant that word remains for us, brothers and sisters. To be merciful is to be forgiving, It's to be ready to forgive, but it is not to ignore sin, to ignore the law of God. And so while there is an attitude of mercy which we must have for all, there is also many things that we must not share with the wicked. And so please turn back with me to Psalm 1. We sang from Psalm 1, Now we'll turn back and read the first few verses. Psalm 1. Here is a psalm that begins with the same word as the Beatitudes. blessed. Beginning with that word, it describes attitudes and places that we must not share with the wicked. Read the first two verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we see those first two verses relate closely to this beatitude and to the hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And so uh, we are called to be God's merciful people, trusting in the God of mercy who has certainly dealt mercifully with us. And so we come now, brothers and sisters, to the beatific vision, to the sixth beatitude, our third point. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall be see God. How are God's blessed ones characterized? Well, it is abundantly clear that the blessed ones of God are not hypocrites. They have a heart religion. Spoke about that a little bit in our last point. The Beatitudes penetrate to the heart. Well, here is the direct word. Blessed are the pure in heart. We know it is by the work of the Spirit in our hearts that we begin to have these blessings even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. Question and answer 58. And so it is, brothers and sisters, that we see plainly from the word of Jesus Christ that God's blessed ones are are never hypocrites they are those who have faith to the level of the heart and what is the blessing promised to God's blessed ones they shall see God please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12 Again, the, uh, the word beatitude is so common that it's part of our English language. The word beatific, you won't hear it too often. If you do hear it, you probably hear it together with the word vision, beatific vision. When someone talks about the text of the beatific vision, they're either talking about Matthew 5 verse 8 or 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even I as I have been fully known. This goes back to uh, the language from question answer uh, 58. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. That's quoted directly from what comes some chapters before in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There is something that no eye has seen. We only have it dimly now. I already experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, but it's, but it's only dim now. I don't see it clearly yet. But the day is coming when it will be so clear, when it will be face to face. It will be face to face. This is the promise for God's blessed ones. Look at question and answer 57. Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh raised by the power of Christ will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And with that resurrected body we will be face to face flesh to flesh with our Savior Jesus Christ. This is the beatific vision. This is the power of complete blessing that we unholy people are made holy and brought face to face, in the state of glory, to our glorious Savior. This is the beautiful promise for all of God's people. Everyone who repents and believes. Fanny Crosby is the Christian hymn writer. She was born in 1820. and She was blind from very early infancy. She has... She had no memory of sight on this earth. But she was known to rejoice in the sight that she would have in her resurrection body. And so she's famous for this, that uh, a minister, she once said that she was glad that she was born blind. And, and then a minister asked her why. And her response was this. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. And this was her beatific hope. This was a hope that came out in a number of the hymns that she wrote before her death at the age of 94 in 1915. One of those hymns She wrote was called this, My Savior. First of all, and it included these lines: When my life work is ended, and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. Another one of her hymns, this one is is found in the Trinity Soldier Hymnal. It's number 236. It's called To God Be the Glory. And it includes these lines in the third and final stanza. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. This is the beatific vision. The promise of perfect blessedness perfect face-to-face fellowship with our Savior. This is the promise of unbroken, eternal blessing for all of God's blessed ones. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, May we indeed know relationship with you as we wander on this earth. But Lord...